and welcome to the Booby Knit Podcast, where we lift the lid on breastfeeding and tell you what it's really like. I'm your host, Ruth, founder of the online breastfeeding magazine, boobingit.com, and proud mama of two. On each episode, I'll be joined by a special guest to have meaningful conversations about breastfeeding and digging deep on those issues and topics that matter most to you. So let's get on with the show. delighted to let you know that our sponsors of the Boobing It podcast this week are Ardo Medical Limited. Ardo is a Swiss family-owned company supplying products from conception, pregnancy and birth, which includes their award-winning breast pumps and accessories. They are NHS approved and WHO code compliant. You can find out more about Ardo and their new award-winning Alyssa rechargeable breast pump on their website ardobreastpumps.co.uk. Stay tuned for more information about our sponsors later on in this episode, as well as an exclusive discount code. Today, I'm joined by broadcaster, campaigner, and mama of one, Kate Quilton. Many of you will know Kate as the host of TV shows, including Food Unwrapped and a whole host of food and health series for Channel 4. As a breastfeeding mom, Kate does a lot of advocacy work around breastfeeding on her social media channels and on TV also. Not long after having her first baby, Kate made two high-profile TV documentaries, the first of which was around breastfeeding and looking into why Britain has the lowest number of babies breastfed in the world. And this was then followed up by the Great Formula Milk Scandal. I am delighted to speak with Kate today. So Kate, perhaps you could start by telling us a little bit about your own breastfeeding experience and what it was that made you want to breastfeed in the first place. Gosh, okay, right. Well, I'll kind of hit that, I guess. Do you know what? I'll go for the tail end of that first, which is what made me want to breastfeed in the first place. I guess, do you know what? I never even really thought about breastfeeding before I was pregnant. Honestly, it's like, it's something that kind of is just not even really in your head until you find yourself in that situation. Um, You know, and I guess I'm the youngest of four. Um, I've got lots of nieces and nephews. Um, I've watched my sisters breastfeed, my sister-in-law breastfeed. Um, And so I guess within my family definitely was a thing of, okay, yeah, you know, 100% hadn't even really it wasn't really a conscious decision and then for me one of the things that really drilled at home for me because you know it's an absolute privilege in my job that I get to meet uh, I guess experts in their field and global experts people who literally at the top of their game across food nutrition health and um, when I was 35 weeks pregnant um, I was still working. I mean, Jesus, I was a complete workaholic. And I was absolutely, do you know what? I was terrified that I wouldn't work after having a baby because my job is a bit mental. I didn't really know anyone that had done it with a baby. I therefore literally said to anyone that I work with and my agent, I absolutely just need to work as much as is possible while I am pregnant because I don't know what's going to happen next. So anyway, 35 weeks, I waddled to work and I was working in Bristol that day and um, I was filming at uh, Southmead Hospital at their NICU and I arrived and it was amazing. It was a story about donor milk. And so at Southmead Hospital, um, five, five years previously, they had started the first NHS milk bank um and what they found i mean this is just off the chart but the statistic that i do remember was the fact that when they switched over from feeding their premature babies formula to donor breast milk from other mums they uh improved their survival rate by 80 percent oh my goodness And I was just blown away by that. I was like, what? This is insane. So what really on every NICU up and down the country, 100%, you know, really these should be absolutely fueled by donor breast milk. Um, I just couldn't believe it. And then of course, what then comes out is kind of the story about our woeful breastfeeding rates in the UK, which are the worst on the planet. At age one, they are the worst on the planet. Um, In the few months leading up to that, you know, obviously they change every year, but we're always in the bottom five. We're always in the bottom five of all countries across the planet, Um, which is utterly astonishing. And so it was literally the week after that, that I then waddled into Channel 4 (laughs) for a meeting 
with the boss, the guy that runs Channel 4. And I said, look, this is insane. Did you know we've got the worst breastfeeding rates on the planet? And he didn't know that. He'd got, he'd got four kids himself, didn't know that, was shocked. So I went into that meeting to say, right, when I return to work on Food Unwrapped after my baby, I, I said, look, we've got to make this more visible. Like it's our responsibility as a broadcaster to make this more visible. Um, you know, and I've, I've worked for Channel 4 for so long, so many years. This is why I go in and I used to be a commissioning editor there. So I kind of, that's why I was like, look, we we have got responsibility and I feel part of the family. And, and he said, yeah, you're right. And I said, so look, when my baby's three or four months old and I'm back on location filming and I'm stopping to breastfeed my baby, I don't mind if my baby's just passed into the frame and I continue interviewing the farmer about lemons and I continue to breastfeed. Like, why should we cut and why should we hide it? Like, we should normalize this. This is okay. This is a mom taking our baby to work, continuing to do her job and everyone just totally making allowances for it and making it happen and making this normal. And he said, yeah, do you know what? We should go one step better. We should, uh, we should do a whole week, a whole takeover, and you should do a whole film about breastfeeding and say, yeah, that's what we did. So look, that was a bit of a long-winded way about saying, when did I make the decision to breastfeed myself? But yeah, I, there were lots of influences in the kind of, you know, weeks, literally last few weeks up until me giving birth. And I literally remember I had my baby, bless my little dot, I had my baby. And um, oh, I had such a dreamy birth. And I will just share this because anyone in this situation, I was induced and I was terrified as most people are when they're told you've got to be induced. And I had to be induced because my baby had stopped growing, um, had to be induced. And I get the leaflet from the hospital saying, statistically, it's going to be 20% more painful. <laughs> so you're thinking, oh God, am I going to get through this? Anyway, I had a really, really lovely induced birth, beautiful. And I remember turning my phone on, like after all the madness and the baby was in my arms and my phone had been off for something like 48 hours, I turned my phone on and literally the first email that came through was from my friend who was going to produce the breastfeeding film saying, we got the green light, it's commissioned. Oh, wow. <laughs> like writing back in a haze going, I've just had my baby. <laughs> I'm trying to breastfeed. She's like, brilliant, film it on your iPhone. Film it on your iPhone. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was literally, it was all a bit of a whirlwind, but that's mm. how, it, how it came about. And there were lots of influences and I felt very privileged to be, I guess, meeting all these people that were dealing with this every day. Yeah. Um, and of course, um, I then had problems. And I'm listening to you talking about, um, you know, being 35 weeks pregnant and going and hearing all about the, this precious donor milk. And I'm just thinking how amazing if we if we were able to, you know, bring all the pregnant people in uh, to hospital and teach them about how amazing, you know, human milk is and, you know, the wonders qualities that it has for babies, because so so few people know, you know, we did a podcast with Dr. Natalie Schenker, who is um from the Human Milk Foundation. Uh, last I know her year. well. If it wasn't for Natalie, I probably wouldn't still be breastfeeding now, you know? Oh, she is amazing. And she was on talking about donor milk. And, you know, she said that 1% of the population know about human milk donation. Uh, I mean, we all know about blood donation, but we don't know about human milk donation. Uh, oh, I just, it's just unbelievable. So, you know, I think if anything was going to make you breastfeed, it's probably knowing, knowing, um, you know, finding out about all that. And then so lovely to hear that you had um, a good positive birth. And uh, so tell us a little bit about, um, so you've got the, this fantastic news through about the documentary, but what about you and your baby? What were the, those first few feeds like? Did you have this pressure on your shoulders now? Oh, I better make breastfeeding work. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because I will just say as well at this moment in time, right, I never, ever plan to start working weeks after having my baby, okay, because that is nuts, you know, and I am, I'm all into, you know, these countries around the world where they do the 40 days where the, where the mum and baby are just cared for, fed, and they are literally just cocooned in the bosom of the family and they don't lift a finger, right? 
that is what should happen because you need it. Like you've got to heal. You've got to heal. You've both just been through, you know, the marathon of your life. Both of you, not just you, it's your baby as well. It's exhausting for the baby birth. Um, so yeah, I'm all for that. And I think for me, I'd always planned, you know what, I will return to work at uh, three or four months and not full till, but just because I had a series that was being filmed and to make sure that I could deliver what I'd kind of the amount of episodes that I said I would be in, et cetera, et cetera. We agreed that I would do half a day a week from about three and a half months. So that's me literally going to work for four hours with my baby and my husband. So um, very, 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 very gentle and slowly ramping it up to one day a week, et cetera. But then the opportunity to make this film came in and, um, you know, I guess I kind of pitched it to the channel. We got it commissioned, me and a brilliant production company called Love Productions. And I work with an amazing exec producer there and director, Vicky Cooper, as she makes amazing films kind of mostly about women. Um, and really, I just felt a responsibility to, I felt a responsibility to womankind to make this film and to not really have a maternity leave. Um, and I remember the first meeting my flat, my baby was three weeks old. And I mean, I was just still on another planet. <laughs> but thankfully, the two people that are going to help make me make the film with me I'd worked with for years and they knew me really well and they knocked on the door, came into my little flat and it was just, it was just a joy to have them there and know that it was those two beautiful women, Sarah Ramsden and Vicky Cooper that I was going to make this film with. I do remember my husband at the time going, haven't prepared any snacks, haven't got anything to serve them. And he literally went into the cupboard and pulled out a packet of chocolate buttons and opened them up and put them in a bowl. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure we should do that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like going around for a cup of tea, just being given a chocolate button and a little like China maybe that's not to have anything at all. Yeah, <laughs> it was like such a paltry offering. <laughs> Hilarious. That just like shows you, demonstrates the chaos that you end up in after mm. having a baby. But um, but yeah, um, gosh, I keep getting sidetracked. But <laughs> I do. I think it's important to talk about these things because I I hate it when people sit and look at Instagram and think oh my God, I've just had a baby and that person's got makeup on and a beautiful dress and is able to leave the house and looks great and all these things. And it's just really important to acknowledge like, I mean, that is the case for some people. For me, yeah. it absolutely wasn't. I couldn't even get to the park until day 10. <laughs> and it was a 10 minute walk away. And that 10 minute walk took me 45 minutes. Yeah, shuffling along. Yeah, 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 yeah. So take your time, absolutely no pressure, no pressure yeah. after having a baby. So yes, the pressure to breastfeed, of course, yes, was there about to make a documentary, but you know, it, with my producer head on, <laughs> you, you know, you, uh, we wanted ultimately to, ex to, to tell the story of how difficult it can be. And we'd lined up lots of women's stories to follow that had had babies at the same time as me. Cause we thought, well, do you know what? There'll be one person that has a problem. Little did we know that it would be me that would have the major problems. Um, I didn't realize, I just didn't, I wasn't expecting that. You know, I had a mom that she breastfed. My mom, my mom breastfed for a couple of weeks which is what, you know, she, she looks back now and she's like, that's what I was told to do in the early eighties when I was breastfeeding you. So I breastfed you for three weeks and then put you on formula. But, um, you know, I come from a long line of matriarchs that breastfed and then my grandmother, bless her, she had eight children. At one point she was breastfeeding three of them. Oh my goodness. Because she had twins, oh, wow. baby twins, but she also had a uh, her child that she had before was about a year old and was still breastfeeding so she's wow. still three of them I mean so so I guess I came from that which was amazing an amazing comfort um but uh but yeah my my baby had tongue tie it was only it was interesting it was slight tongue tie and you know it was spotted early on but we kept going through this kind of peaks and troughs of oh, actually, I think we're working around this with different positions and he's doing okay and he has made his weight this week. So maybe we won't do the operation because I was often warned. I mean, it's not really an operation. It's the tiniest little snip. But I was warned by the people that I was working with that, you know, if you do do the little snip, then you kind of might have to go through a process of relearning again, you know? So, and there's no turning the clock back on that. Once it's done, it's done, you know? So 
I guess, yeah, we just kept going up and down, up and down until we then hit another really bad spot when he was eight weeks old. And it was like, okay, we have to do this. The, the way that his tongue moves against my nipple, it's effectively uh, sandpaper oh. on my nipple. Oh. Um, and so, you know, I was just getting big nipple trauma. And so, yeah, we need to do something about it. And oh my God, the moment we did it when he was eight weeks old. And then obviously they have the snip and the, and the best thing to do is for them to go straight onto the boob. Yep. Oh my God. It's like literally the angels were singing hallelujah. And I was just <laughs> like, oh my God. Okay. So this is what it's meant to be yes. like. Yes. Yeah. It was utterly, utterly, utterly transformative, which is why, you know, yeah, I still breastfeed him at night and he's three. Brilliant. Um, I know. And I can't so believe myself. I can't believe myself, Ruth. No. And the tongue tie is such a common, such a common issue. Um, it's picked up a lot more. Now everyone thinks, oh, there's more children being born with tongue tie, but it's just that it's picked up more. We're more, we're more aware of it. Uh, midwives and health visitors are you know, more trained on looking for it and things like that. And um, but as you said, there are some babies that can breastfeed very well without having the snip. You know, if it's a if it's what you would consider a slight tongue tie, then they can probably manage. But in the case of your child and your pain, sometimes, you know, the operation is is often well worth it. Um, and the fact that you notice a change immediately. Amazing. Immediately. immediately. And, you know, if you didn't have had, if you hadn't have had that, perhaps your journey wouldn't have lasted so long you know there's only so much there's only so long you can go through you know pain like that absolutely and I've got to say this you know I mean you mentioned Natalie Schenker earlier I ultimately the reason why I got to the point where you know I, I exclusively breastfed um and I think the only way that I was able to do that was that there were a few reasons and a few people okay so um I lived in the last borough of London, Tower Hamlets, on paper, it's a very deprived area of London, but they still put money towards a breastfeeding support service. So it's the last place in London where there's a breastfeeding support service funded by the NHS. Um, and so I had three visits from this amazing angel who worked for the breastfeeding support service three times in the first week. And I didn't even know I had a problem. Do you know what I mean? I just thought, okay, but some people have said it, it's going to hurt. Not many people said it was going to hurt. I got, in fact, I'll, I'll name check her, bless her, Jimmy Doherty's wife, who I make a bunch of shows with and we make Feed on Rap together. Jimmy's wife, Kayla, mother of four, she said, darling, just get yourself some nipple cream. <sighs> some nipple cream before you have your baby and she looked quite like I literally saw the whites of her eyes <laughs> and she was the only person that had said that to me mm. so I had bought some of that yeah and so then I kind of thought you know what is it is gonna hurt a bit whilst my kind of boobs get used to it and so anyway this breastfeeding support worker her name's Martina Irish knocked on my door just turned up out of the blue and said I'm here just to see how you're getting on and I said I think we're getting on okay and then she said Oh, well, let me look at your boobs. Well, well I'm here. Sorry, terrible Irish accent. <laughs> um, and she looked at my boobs and she went, okay, your boobs are not meant to look like that. And they were, you know, they were all kind of on the brink of, you know, bleeding and cracked and whatever else. Aww. And yeah, she's like, you need some help. I'm here yeah. to help. Let's, yeah. let's help you. And um, so anyway, the reason why I guess I, you know, we, it was really difficult, but I met, you know, I was part, I was supported by the breastfeeding support service that was still funded by the government, the last one in the country. Um, and then outside of that, uh, I started making this documentary where I was working with experts in their field, Professor Amy Brown, yeah. um, Natalie Schenker, and also um, Emma Pickett. And so I was literally, I was in the room with these people and, you know, off camera, they were just telling me everything and helping me out. And right. I had their number and I just had that support, this like world-class team yeah. which <laughs> helped keep me on track. Amazing. And also gave me the information I needed to know in order to almost the carrot to keep me there. So like yeah. in the case of Natalie Schenker, telling me just how amazing this milk is that my boobs are producing that's yeah. fingerprinted for my child and gives him exactly what he needs. Yeah. Um, 
And that's the only way I think I'm breastfeeding still now. So for another mom, you know, the, the solution can't be to make a breastfeeding documentary in order to get the support. I know. know I know. If only we all, we've had those three people that you mentioned, we've had them all on the Bibbing It podcast last year. So honored to have them on and to speak with each and every one of them. If only we could all have them beside us as we learn to breastfeed. How amazing would that be? Oh my goodness. Each one of them a fountain of knowledge. And that was it. I had those angels on my shoulders. Um, And it was interesting because I interviewed them all for the, the documentary we made. And I started filming, baby was five weeks old. We did a day a week for about five weeks. So I guess between the weeks of five weeks to 10 weeks, um, yeah, that's when I was filming that breastfeeding documentary. And um, I remember going and initially our plan was that we'd make the film and I'd just break, we'd cut when I needed to breastfeed. But <laughs> God, some of those days, my baby just wanted to feed for 14 hours. And so actually, as it turned out, I'm breastfeeding solidly through every single interview. So I'm there like interfacing with Amy Brown, Natalie Schenker, um, Emma Pickett, and I am just breastfeeding. So of course, they're literally saying, oh, do you want a cushion? Do you want to to put your feet up? It was amazing. It was amazing. And I couldn't have done it without them. Um, And so therein, you know, brings really the most important the most important thing, which I almost, if I ever write a post on Instagram about breastfeeding, I always try to include, you know, the fact is, you know, it is, it is, it can be difficult, okay, and it can be challenging, and there are too many women at the end of, or going through the breastfeeding process, where they just feel like a failure, and that's it, right, and they internalize that, trauma and some carry it for the rest of their lives I mean I sometimes get emails and messages on social media from women that say I'm 65 now and I still can't really handle seeing any breastfeeding content online because I feel so devastated that I couldn't do what you're doing for my baby because it's all I ever wanted to do and it literally chokes me up makes me cry because All I ever want to say is, it is not you. Like, it is not you. You are not a failure. It is the system and it is broken. Mm-hmm. It's broken. Completely. And it's the system that is failing you. It's our government that is failing you because they no longer, they no longer offer any money for a breastfeeding support service. It is the formula companies that are failing you. Um, and culturally, you know, culturally we're failing you because, you know, boobs are sexualized. Yeah. Um, and the reason why our rates are so low now, you know, these are decades in the making, these rates. They're decades in the making. Yeah. Um, and I'd say the last hundred years, like we've really, really fucked it up when it comes yeah. to breastfeeding. And we talk a lot about this on boobing it, you know, and how our knowledge and awareness of breastfeeding has, you know, been eroded over the years. Uh, you know, this is a very layered, complex area, but you've mentioned some of some of uh, some of the issues that we have. And uh, I would like to go to the the formula, you know, the 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 very intense marketing done by formula companies. And, you know, off the back of your breastfeeding uncover documentary, you then follow that up with the great formula scandal documentary. And for those who haven't watched it, could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So obviously, so we made the breastfeeding doc and then, you know, we ended up in lots of conversations with mums around. Okay, so that's the breastfeeding side, which is brilliant. But it would be really, really good to know more about the other side of the coin. So, you know, because there are lots of mums that combination feed or um, or do 100% formula feed and they wanted to know more about that side of it. And we'd alluded to. I guess in the breastfeeding doc, we reached the conclusion that, you know, the reason why our rates are so low in the UK, and that was always our, that was absolutely always our driving motivation for making that documentary. It was about, let's try and interrogate why are our rates so low? And it's really, it's the three reasons I briefly just touched on it, but it is, um, it's the fact that lack of support. So it is a lack of, you know, the government not supporting breastfeeding support services, et cetera. 
Secondly, our culture. And thirdly, uh, it is the aggressive advertising of the formula companies. So obviously it raised a lot of questions. People wanted to know more about, okay, tell us more about this aggressive marketing. What is going on? And so we made a film called The Great Formula Milk Scandal to follow up. And this was really to put out there, not to demonize formula, because formula totally has a place. It has a place, um, is a, you know, and it is a safety net for tens of thousands, millions of women out there, you know. Um, but it's about digging down into it and helping you with basically giving you all of the information so that you can make the best decision around which formula shall I feed my baby, you know, because actually you're bombarded with all of these kind of, you know, health claims and you walk down the aisle in the supermarket and it is a bit bamboozling, particularly when it's a product that even often, if it's your first child, never bought in your life. So like, what do I do? So yeah, I guess where we got to ultimately with um, the great formula milk scandal is shining a light on the fact that it wasn't until the 1980s that a law was passed, which stopped them telling fibs in their marketing which um, obviously has a massive kind of, you know, it, it eroded breastfeeding rates like up until that point. My mum being subject to it in the late 70s and the early 80s, being told, actually, this formula is going to be better for your kid than that breast milk. Um, so that was all going on kind of up until, you know, the mid 80s when this law was passed, which stopped them advertising the first milks. So then what formula companies did, because they were like, oh, God, OK, we can't advertise on television anymore and we can't do X, Y and Z. And we're much more restricted in terms of what we can say. And we cannot publish unsubstantiated health claims, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so then that is when not long after that, um, follow on milks were created. Now, there aren't any laws around advertising follow-on milk. So if you see any formula being advertised on the telly, it's a follow-on milk. Yep. And I'll just repeat, which, you know, you've probably heard this a million times if you're a regular listener on this podcast, but there is really no place for follow-on milks in the world. Like, you do not need them, okay? So this is the big food giants trying to just sell you more product okay so you know they sell you the first milk and then they say you need this follow-on milk and then you need this milk with a number three on the packet and then you need to, to, to oh and oh then we'll put it next to all of these processed foods in the supermarket which you then can move your baby onto which will tell you move on move your baby onto at four months plus which they shouldn't have that on the packet really anyway because ultimately you should be looking at weaning around six months plus there are some exceptions. There are some exceptions. I'll say that. But yeah, I made a, I did actually, we did make a little story about that in another program. Um, it's all about making money. It's all about making money. So, you know, if you are using formula, you can use the first milks up until 12 months and then you can start giving your child cow's milk. Um, I know so we- it's just disgrace. It's disgraceful. And now, you know, they're at the point because they're restricted in terms of advertising, they try and do other things which are quite insidious. And, you know, they might sponsor events. Still happening. Still happening. Might try and sponsor content. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might even get them knocking on your door. Yeah. I mean, we've had stories, you know, you know, back in the 80s, as you said, in the 90s as well. But, you know, uh, midwives and things would have been turning up at a parent's door and their little bag they'd be carrying would be have the an infant formulas branding on it you know this is the things that they were doing completely completely normalizing the use of formula milk and making it seem as if this is what everyone does everyone gives their baby infant formula and uh and yeah absolutely shocking what went on and what continues to go on and like you say the follow-on milk is a is a big one because there, there is a loophole allowing them to market that and thinking you know making people think this is what i need to give my child now um absolutely ridiculous and if anyone hasn't um watched your documentary i would of course recommend that they do because it's so educational it will really open your eyes um, and it's something that I think we should all we should all learn more about. Um, but, you know, you, you've just touched on, you know, even on the, the baby food marketing as well. I mean, and of course, 
as um as the host of lots of health and food documentaries Kate you know all about the marketing of fast food and all that sort of thing so it's just something that we all need to be a bit more mindful of in our day-to-day lives I wanted to take a little break in this episode to tell you more about our sponsors, Ardo Medical Limited. For over 25 years, Ardo have been developing, producing and distributing products to help with conception, as well as pregnancy, childbirth and breastfeeding. They have developed a range of manual, electric and hospital grade pumps to cater for the needs of every breastfeeding person, their family and their lifestyle. Approved by the NHS and WHO Code compliant, they are a trusted brand used by hospitals and families around the world. The new Ardo Alyssa breast pump is a fully digitized electric rechargeable portable pump. It's the first breast pump with an automatic power pumping feature to increase milk supply. Just recently, it won a gold award in the Made for Mums Awards and to celebrate, Ardo are giving Booping It listeners an exclusive £30 off the Alyssa breast pump. Simply visit ardobreastpumps.co.uk, add the Alyssa breast pump to your shopping basket and then enter the code Alyssa30, that's A-L-Y-S-S-A-3-0, to get 30 pounds off um yeah and you know look I don't want people to kind of you know I don't want to fill people with distrust when they're in the supermarkets like oh do they really mean what they say on the packet you know but um in the area of formula there are an awful lot of health claims put on pack that are not substantiated by science um you know for instance we were given a lot of data from essentially a whistleblower that worked in some of the marketing teams that work with some of the big formula companies and they know what they're doing you know they often try to target the kind of you know informed mom the middle class mom that reads everything and is really really careful about what they give their child etc and so they're they deliberately market you know and I just will say the effect, you know, is very, very interesting. I spoke to Natalie Schenker not long after the great formula milk scandal went out, it was about six months later. And what had happened as a result of that, because we concluded ultimately that, you know, working with experts in the field, scientists in the field, that really the cheapest formula on the shelf, that's going to do the same job as anything else with all these health claims on the box. Okay, so save yourself some money. You know, you don't have to spend 12 quid on a box of formula. You know, the one that's on the shelf, the supermarket owned brand that's eight quid is has basically got the same stuff inside. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was very interesting is six months after that film went out, one of the big food giants, I won't quote directly, but they lost 20% off their bottom line. Oh, wow. Because, and Sainsbury's, for instance, sold out of their own brand formula. So it's really interesting, ah, like all okay. of a sudden, you know, the, the, the message of the film really got out there because people suddenly were like, no, nah, I'm not buying that special formula with all those crazy scientific health claims on the side that aren't actually substantiated. Yeah. I say scientific with, you know, I'm doing my fingers in the air kind yeah. of thing, really <laughs> pseudo-scientific. Um, so it's interesting. And then actually those big kind of big uh, formula companies started launching a lower price formula to make sure that they're in the same price bucket competing against supermarket owned brands, etc. Unreal. It is unreal when you know there are people out there, a lot of people struggling. I interviewed one mum in that film who, you know, bless her she had so little money in her weekly budget that she was actually giving cow's milk to her child rather than buying formula and it was really too early for that she was giving cow's milk to a child at seven months eight months because she just couldn't afford formula um and so yeah it's just it was just it was a really important area to interrogate we'd interrogated breastfeeding and so it was important to kind of interrogate the other side and interrogate formula um, and of course, it's not that they are, they are two sides of one coin. You can combination feed. Lots of mums do it. Yeah, completely. And, uh, you know, for those people who breastfeeding hasn't worked out for and they're devastated, you know, and it, their journey has been cut short and they need to turn to formula for one reason or another. I mean, in a lot of cases, they will they'll buy the most expensive formula. The one that, as you say, has all these scientific claims on the front because they think, oh, my goodness, uh, breastfeeding hasn't worked out. So I need to give my 
child the next best thing and of course that means spending the most money and you know showing show you know buying buying the most expensive formula and as you say if you dig deep and you see if you look in the back and the ingredients list and everything it's very much standard across because they have to they all have to meet these regulations and in terms of what what the infant formula contains and um and again just a huge a huge marketing ploy to get you to to um spend more money yeah absolutely absolutely and you know you're I would say right I was at the most vulnerable time in my life the first year of my child's life it hit me like a ton of bricks oh yeah (laughs) you know and so and you've got to learn a lot very quickly you know Mm -hmm. you've got to learn a lot real quick and I always remember each stage coming along and me just never being prepared thinking oh god we're meant to be weaning and I haven't even got I mean (laughs) what do I need spoons plate I don't even have this stuff you know it it moves pretty quick and there's a there's a lot going on there's a hell of a lot going on I just I feel like I felt like I had a baby and I almost became a totally different person yeah I think a lot of people will relate to you about that you know there's a complete mind shift as well as a physical shift and um you're very emotional as well um so you mean the fact that you made this documentary when your baby was just a few weeks old I'm sure it was a very surreal part um time in your life you know making this breastfeeding documentary whilst also trying to establish breastfeeding yourself little did you know fast forward a few years you know I got a toddler and your child is still breastfeeding did you ever imagine that not in a million years not in a million years, you know, and I got to say, I even remember because, because I guess my breastfeeding journey ended up being discussed by people in a professional context. And I almost zoomed out and was talking about it as a storyteller and a producer. I remember being in a meeting before we started filming the breastfeeding doc and a producer saying to me, a TV producer saying, oh, but you're not going to be one of those women that's breastfeeding when they're three or four, are you? Looking absolutely horrified, yeah. And I literally said, oh, no, of course not. Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just, you know, in my vulnerable state, I was just following the cultural cues in that moment and the societal cues in that moment. and, but I, I didn't really imagine it because do you know what? I, the only time in my life that I'd been exposed to a mum breastfeeding a kid over the age of one was when I went to Denmark, age 16, on an exchange. And the house that I was living in, there was, I think, a two-year-old that would run up to her mum and, and say, I've, I don't know what the Danish word was for, for milk at the time, but basically that. Um, and would literally just pop her mum's boob out of her top and would latch on. And it literally blew my 16-year-old brain box. <laughs> I, yeah. It would still blow a lot of 16-year-old minds. Yeah. Yeah. And it blew my mind. And that was the only time I'd ever seen it. And of course, in Denmark and the Nordic countries, of course, you know, their breastfeeding rates are... plus. I mean, they're phenomenal. Sweden, Denmark, Norway. And the reason why they are is because of the system. And, you know, I've had the luxury of being, going to these societies and meeting mums with kids that are aged, you know, one, two, et cetera. And when you start to drill down and find out what they're doing, they're doing a whole lot different, you know, things like um, shared maternity, paternity leave for two years, sometimes three years. I remember interviewing a scientist. She had a two-year-old and I said, oh, where's your two-year-old now? She said, oh, she's at home with her dad because we're doing shared maternity, paternity and he's got this year to look after her. And I was thinking, wow, that's blowing my mind. I said, oh, well, when will she go to a nursery? And she said, yeah, she's going to start a nursery soon. And I said, oh, how much is it? Just out of interest, you don't mind sharing. She said, hundred pounds. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what a day is in London, a long day, really. And she went, no a hundred pounds a month oh my goodness because it's completely subsidized you know it's like they just literally throw in a token gesture it's something like a hundred pounds a month yeah. but you know so it, the whole thing sounds uh-huh. differently you know and it, and it and ultimately it builds a different society 
Yeah. You know, don't underestimate the fact that, you know, their happiness scores can be higher than ours. Longevity yeah. is higher than ours, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there are just so, just so many differences and it all makes an impact and it builds a different society at the end, you know, but at the, at the heart of it, they place their babies and their children at the heart of yes, everything. as it should be. They have the right framework and the right structure to support parents, to allow them to continue to work if they want to. And to have that, I like I when you're talking there, it's like, it's fantastic. The onus isn't on the, the breastfeeding person, you know, that pressure, because we're always told, you know, we're told breast is best, you know, breastfeed, breastfeed. Um, but then the, as we've talked already, the support to, to allow somebody to, to do that and to continue doing that just isn't there in the UK and in other and in other countries. Um, so then that 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 person feels like a failure if they don't uh, if they don't fulfill their breastfeeding goals or, you know, whereas in, in these countries, as you say, um, you know, it's just a completely different setup and we need to learn from that. We need we need to get, get some of that. Uh, we're slowly I think we're slowly starting to make some positive changes but you know it needs to be done quicker and faster yeah and you know that's what I I you know it's so interesting I do I do still try to share about breastfeeding on social media because I think it's so important and you know I know what I'm doing is controversial like in my house it's completely normal the fact that my my toddler has a feed just before bed, you know, and then goes to sleep. Um, yeah, like it's obviously completely normalized in my house. Yeah. Brilliantly, I have an amazing supportive husband who supported me through all of this. And he he's never said, he's never, he doesn't, he's he's with me. We're on the same page when it comes to parenting and he supports the fact that, you know, we still breastfeed and it's part of our lives. Yeah. Um, but I have to remind people that, you know, I know it's kind of completely alien in this country, but it's not the same elsewhere in the world. No. It's not the same. I mean, do you know what? For instance, breast breastfeeding at two years of age, South Asia, the rates are 99%. Western and Central Africa, 98%. Um, Eastern and Southern Africa, 86%. That's at age two. Yeah. Completely normal completely expected yeah completely yeah. supported yeah um but unheard of here yeah unheard of unheard of you know unheard of and I spoke to my friend the other day who you know her father's Ghanaian she spent a lot of time in Ghana in her life she's got a, a kid the same age as mine she breastfeeds she's my only last friend oh. <laughs> at this age right she oh, lives wow. in LA and she said to me, she said, you know what, if I go to Ghana and anyone sees me breastfeeding my three-year-old, they literally, they high-five me, Aww. they feed me, they nourish me, they treat me like a goddess. As it should and be. How amazing is that? Yeah. That is how it should be, you know, it should be celebrated. It should be celebrated. And there are lots of reasons why I guess I'm still going, you know, there's, there's lots of, I look, I've got the absolute luxury of, you know, my work means that I can still do it because I don't, I don't work a nine to five. I didn't have the kind of standard 12 months. Oh, it's not standard 12 months, but do you know what I mean? The standard, yeah. you might have six, nine, 12 months off maternity and then return to work. And that can often be the marker for, okay, we need to wean because, you know, I'm not going to have the same contact with my baby. So my job has meant that, you know, we're still going now. Um, the fact that we're in a pandemic. Yes. Still meant that we're going now, you know, like my Bab just turned two, was coming up to two at the start of the pandemic. And, and I was thinking in my head, maybe two, maybe two. That's the World Health Organization's recommendation. <laughs> they say two years and beyond. But I thought maybe around that point, maybe we'll kind of part ways on this. And then a pandemic hit. Um, I was still breastfeeding. My husband got COVID March Goodness. 2020, very early, one week before the national lockdown. He was so ill. Oh, I no. thought, oh my God, there are a few nights when he couldn't breathe. And we thought, God, this is it. The paramedics are going to come tonight. Um, and so we had COVID early doors and we didn't know much about it. Um, I wasn't sure if I had it or not, really. I kind of felt okay. But Natalie Schenker, 
was aware of what was happening in my house. And she got in touch with me April time and said, I'm gathering a cohort of 30 mums who are breastfeeding, who have suspected COVID. Because at that point, there weren't even tests. Do you remember? No tests, no antibody tests widely available. Natalie said, I've got a whole locker room full of antibody tests like come on down I want to take your breast milk and your blood and I'm going to test it to see if there are signs of COVID um, and I'm going to see if there are antibodies and so I was part of this very early study which told me you've got COVID antibodies in your breast milk oh brilliant affirmative you know before it was even kind of you know radar and the the data wasn't published etc and so I just felt like I'd be an absolute wally to just hang up these boobies now, particularly as I'm <laughs> sat on my couch in lockdown and all yeah. my kid wants to do anyway is breastfeed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it just, it, yeah, I, that's obviously played out in the fact that we're still breastfeeding now. Yeah. And I think a lot of them, um, I think a lot of people listening in the same sort of boat will totally relate to you because, you know, anecdotally we're hearing that people are continuing to breastfeed for far longer than they ever thought they would because of the pandemic, because of lockdown, because they've been working from home, you know, they the, the want to give that extra protection to their child. And, you know, even before, as you say, the testing and before we knew about the antibodies, it was just a way to keep our babies close and to feel, you know, to feel like we were protecting them anyway. So, you know, maybe we're, maybe this is the start of us starting to see more people doing that natural term feeding that, as we've talked about, isn't commonplace here in the UK or elsewhere. So maybe we will start to see a, sh- a, a shift and, you know, for it to become you and, you know, there's there's been mums who've sh- shared their story on bibbingit.com about how they're feeding their toddlers, you know, and it, it just takes a few people to kind of raise awareness and make people feel like, yeah, do you know what, it, continue to feed for as long as as long as you want, you can still go back to work and still do a morning and evening feed with your little one and uh, have that closeness. There's just this, I think in our society, there's just this um, obsession with wanting our children to be independent, to sleep independently, to, you know, be off the boob by a certain stage, to be independent. And, you know, we have to look inside. Why why do we feel that need? Why do we want our children to be independent? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that's another thing about the Nordic countries. Do you know what? If you travel there and you've got a child, you know, I've been at reception before in Sweden and said, ah, oh, is there a cot in the room? And they're literally like, we don't have cots. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do cots. Like the baby is in the bed. That's what yes. we do. And, um, you know, I've got to be honest, like because of, because of my job, again, uh, we co-sleep and we have done, I mean, up until four months, my little bab was in a next to me cot, which is basically an extension of the bed anyway. And then at four months, I flew to New Zealand for a shoot. Sounds very glamorous. The absolute opposite of glamour. <laughs> I was completely, completely fucked. Um, you know, he was four months old. He was 16 weeks old. And so me, my husband, baby, flew to New Zealand. Longest journey of our lives. Um um the longest journey of our lives (laughs) the memories are still very vivid oh my god it was horrendous um and uh to get through that I remember that was when I was like right he's just in the bed and we're in a different bed every night so the continuity for him is going to be me and he can just sleep beside me on me boob whenever he wants because I've also completely reversed his body clock and <laughs> it's now night when it's meant to be day and it's day when it's meant to be night. Um, so that's when it started and it's not stopped. It's not stopped. <laughs> and so my kid is in the bed. And for me, I just have to remind myself sometimes, I'm like, do you know what? You're not conforming to conventions, but you are just following your instinct and doing what is right for you. And you're very individual, unique little person. And so just stick with it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I guess sometimes I just have to remind myself because you can lose confidence in that. Yeah. You can lose confidence all the time. I have people most days telling me, you've got to get him out of the bed. And they're shocked that he's in the bed with me. And I'm like, why? Yeah. If you're happy. I get a better night's sleep because, you know, and if I'm filming the next day, I'm not up and down and settling him in his bed and then hopping back to my bed, blah, blah, blah. You know, like I can guarantee you that I actually 
clock up more minutes sleep in this scenario than not. And so that's just better for me. And the boobing thing as well. But may I share with you one other thing that is helpful just on the... So I, I remember, right, when my baby was 18 months old and I went to film with this, um, with um, a professor and, this, and the story was all about touch. And I remember I'd get into work that day and it had been a rough night and my kid had breastfed a lot through the night. He was 18 months old at the time. And for whatever reason, you know, it might've been a little snuffle or whatever, you know, you can have those nights where it's like, oh my goodness, I've literally just been like tapped all night long. and. Um, I got to work and I just said it was seven in the morning and I said to this professor I said look I'm really sorry I just think I need a coffee and then I'll be okay but I just had a bit of a rough night's sleep and I co-sleep with my baby and he bless him he just had a bit of a rough time last night and this professor his name is Professor Francis McGlone and he's based at Liverpool University he kind of took both my hands and he just said to me look if you can stick with this, stick with it. Because all of my work, 100% is focused on how touch changes the shape of your baby's brain. It's key for development, right? And he said, I spend my life scanning baby's brains, um, usually around that fourth trimester. And they are different depending on how much touch they're in with their mother because when your baby's in the womb they're in a state of a hundred percent constant touch with their mom and then when they come out you know touch is integral to building their brains it literally changes the shape of their brains and honestly I just like had tears in my eyes because I was like you've just given me permission to do what I feel is right but I'm told every day isn't right yes and now, you know, I don't even feel as tired anymore <laughs> because I feel like I'm doing, you know, what is right for me and what yes. is right for my little person right now, you know? Yes. So, yeah, I just want to say, yeah, that's amazing. And I think that's why I guess having the conversations with these experts that I have the absolute luxury to in my job, it has completely shaped my parenting. Completely. Yeah. And, but it's also giving you permission, if you like, to go oh. with your instincts. Yeah, to go with yeah, what you yeah. think inside of yourself is right, and not what uh, modern society has 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 told us over the years what is right. And it's about, and you know, we talk a lot about again on boobing about coming back to that. You know, um, you know what 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 do you want to do? It's not what other people are telling you. Do what feels right to you. Does it feel right to continue breastfeeding? Then do that. Does it feel right to continue to co sleep? Then do that. If it if it's working for you, whereas if it's impacting negatively on your family life, then you know do something, you know, move the child into their own bed if, if needs be. But if, if you're actually getting more sleep and you're quite happy snuggled up to your baby, your child, do it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, co-sleeping isn't right for a lot of people. You know, I've got friends who are like, God, I don't know how you do it. You know, but it's all about who you are as an individual. It's about who your kid is as an individual. It's about your relationship, you know? Um, yeah. I don't snuggle with my husband as much. <laughs> we don't you know no. um and he's often he joins us in the bed but it's rare he lasts a night you know oh, okay. have the luxury of a spare room and so yeah. he's, he's hopped if he's like oh I've got a big day tomorrow I'm just gonna get real solid good sleep yeah. for myself yeah and um, so there's so many factors you know but it's just in all of it it's just to be reminded like you geez you do you you do whatever is right for you you know yeah and when we look back, you know, everyone says, oh, the, these years are so short, you know, the baby, the toddler years are so short. And, you know, it can be hard to understand that when you're in the midst of it, but you look back and it was such a short period of your mothering journey. So why not embrace it and, you know, let them be little. Mm. And in it, you know, it's funny, you mentioned the term natural term weaning. I've got to put my hands up. I'm almost a bit scared of that, right? <laughs> because I rarely use it because I almost feel like I don't want to commit to the natural term. I I don't want to commit to it because I think I probably will have to bring in an intervention (laughs) and a breastfeeding journey. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, who knows? Who knows how it's going to go over the next six months, the next, you know, bit of time. That's, that's okay too you know it can be a, a two-way relationship breastfeeding isn't it and you know you've spoken about Emma Pickett we had her on the podcast and we talked about breastfeeding older babies and children and she reminds us about that where you know we don't have to just keep going for as long as our child 
wants to, if that's not what we want to, if we want to try and bring an end to the, the feeding, the breastfeeding journey, then we can do, you know, we can start to bring in some boundaries. That's okay. Um, and, you know, the same for you. We don't necessarily have to abide by the natural term feeding, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm scared. I'm just scared to use that term and then just be locked in <laughs> a bit, but um, who knows, who knows, you know, who knows? And, you know, I'm, you know, there might be a reason why, I mean, whether, well, I don't know, you're trying for a baby or whatever else. I've had friends who have actually said, you know, around two, you know, I'm not getting pregnant and, you know, my doctor has advised this and that I should stop breastfeeding because the impact on my hormones, et cetera, and whatever else. So, you know, people will have reasons for, you know, weaning. Um, yes. I had reasons for night weaning and that was definitely a process we went through. Okay. Because otherwise, yeah, my, we went, you know, my kids sometimes, if we didn't do that, and didn't put a boundary in, he would happily tap all night long. Yeah, why wouldn't he if he, you know? <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, oh. so yeah, we ended up, we did do some kind of night weaning, like super gentle. I mean, it probably took us about four months or something, but. Yeah, but that's good. That's a nice natural way to kind of do it and to phase it out so that it's not traumatizing for the little one because it is, we talk a lot about it again, you know, breastfeeding, it's more than just food. You know, when people can't understand why you would breastfeed an older baby or child, it's, it's, it's making them understand that it's more than just food. It's comfort. It's, you know, when they're feeling sick, it makes them feel better. And during the pandemic, when we're all feeling a bit nervous and uncertain about the future, it gives, it gives, you know, the parent and the child comfort. Um, so it's so much more than just food and nutrition. Well, it's nuts, isn't it? It's like, you know, that's the same as someone just saying, yeah, stop cuddling, stop cuddling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's, it isn't just about the fact that it's food and, you know, and as you all have heard probably from lots of the other experts that work in this space, Natalie Schenker, et cetera, you know, the nutritional profile of your milk changes all the time you know and delivers what your child needs at that moment in time mm -hmm. and you'll find that kind of you know two years plus there's a lot of brain food in there you know it's kind of it's it's profiles changes and I, I, that's one thing a lot of mums say to me oh my milk just went all watery and it was like it just wasn't good anymore and it's like no that's just that's just what it does it ebbs and flows and goes through different states and if your kid needs lots of fats or needs lots of protein or whatever it is they need, you know, your body delivers it at that point in time. So, you know, my milk is still helping my child kind oh, yes. of from a nutrition perspective at age three. It is, it is indeed. And contributing to his brain development. So yeah, for me, yeah, I never ever envisaged going this long. No, but, <laughs> but it's been, I'm sure it's been um, a lovely journey that you've been on. You continue to go on and you surprised yourself. And again, I think a lot of people will relate to that. No one sets out on the first day of breastfeeding thinking, you know what, I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, they don't envisage breastfeeding probably a three or four year old. Um, but it's just happened that way. And, um, you know, and what a wonderful journey to be on and to be able to provide your child with that nutrition and that comfort um, and giving them a safe place for them to come to. But it has been so lovely speaking with you, Kate, and listening to your own experiences and the wealth of knowledge that you've you've come to learn from all the people that you speak to in, in the work that you do. Um, it's been so fascinating um, listening to you. I think I'm going to go back and rewatch those documentaries just to just to uh, just to remind myself about everything. Um, it's been so eye opening. And maybe we can uh, maybe we can do this again in another year and see where you're at with breastfeeding then. Oh, yeah. And who knows what stories I'll have then. Maybe I'll be telling you all about the wean, the weaning yeah. of a three-year-old or who knows? Who knows? Who, who knows? knows? Well, thank you so much for, um, for giving me your time today, Kate. Oh, not at all. And I just want to say there's a bit of a lesson in that. And even now me saying, who knows what we'll be in six months? Who knows what we'll be in a year? Just sometimes I think with breastfeeding, you know, don't put any pressure on yourself do not put any goals in place just take one day at a time yeah that's the that's the advice a lot of uh, breastfeeding mamas share on boobing it you know they 
they tell people if they're having, if they're just starting out in breastfeeding or they're having a difficult time, just take each day as it comes. Don't think too far ahead because you can't control the future. It's a, it's a good le- le- life lesson for us all, really, you know, take each day as it comes and just try and be in the moment. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's easier said than done. But yeah, don't don't put that extra pressure on yourself when you don't need to. Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. And I just want to say to anyone listening, you're just amazing. Whatever you're doing right now. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes you just need to be told you're amazing when you're there like, oh, God, I haven't washed my hair in three days. <laughs> I haven't done this. Oh, God, the kitchen's a mess. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, you're raising a small person. I think it's the hardest thing. It's it the really most is. difficult thing. It's the most joyous thing. It really is. Thank you so mm. much. Thank you so much. A joy to chat with you today. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you to Ardo Medical Limited for sponsoring this episode of the Boobing It podcast. At any stage of your journey, Ardo can help assist you with how to pump and express breast milk in the best way possible. They can even provide online consultations. Discover more at ardobreastpumps.co.uk and remember to use the discount code Alyssa30, that's A-L-Y-S-S-A-3-0 to get £30 off their award-winning Alyssa Breast Pump. Thank you for listening to this episode you can find out the latest breastfeeding news and information on boobingit.com and you can also join the boobing it community on facebook instagram and twitter see you in the next show